So as you know, we're looking at the book of Genesis, and um, this morning we're going to look specifically at chapter 3. There's no way I could cover all the chapters I know that you read, but 3 is obviously um, the focal point, right? One of the key chapters in the book. Genesis is broken up into four events, four people. Those four events are creation, fall, flood, Tower of Babel, and then the four people are known as the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. That's kind of where we're going. A um, little bit of a, which way do I point the clicker? Make this thing go. There we go. Uh, in Genesis 1, we uh, looked at the cre- how God created the world. There's the idea that God formed the earth the first three days, and then he filled it the final three days. It's the idea here that God is transcendent. He is all-powerful. But also in chapter 2, it focuses on the creation of man and woman and climaxes with marriage. And it's the whole idea here that God is not just transcendent and all-powerful, but he's intimately acquainted with all of our ways. And he desires to have a relationship with us. We're created in his image. Um, You've got to remember that for all the questions that we have regarding Genesis 1 and 2 in light of modern science and dinosaurs and age of the earth and all those questions that we have, we have to read it in the context for which it was written. That Moses wrote to a people who are living in a polytheistic age where they believe there's a God of the sun, moon, stars, believed in multiple gods. And Moses was leading them out of uh, captivity in Egypt on the way to the promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham. And So what we can say about Genesis 1 and 2 is a foundational truth, is that um, there are many things that Genesis 1 and 2 say, but at the the least they say these things, that there's only one God. He created the heavens and the earth. All that the Lord created was good. In fact, it was very good. He alone is eternal, and everything else owns its origin and existence to him. Talked about the idea that creation proclaims the Lord's greatness and glory. He alone is worthy of all of our worship, and we are accountable to him. He desires to have a relationship with us. And that's what he wanted to communicate to the Israelites. And he made it clear that we are also made in his image. We talked about how we are created to know God and reflect his glory. We are his image bearers. So that's all of Genesis 1 and 2 of what we talked about last week, just by way of review. And so today we're going to look at chapter, chapter 3 specifically. And um, I titled it Paradise Lost for obvious reasons. And um, what you see in here is you see uh, that the key verse, in my opinion, is 3.15, which as I'll explain a little bit uh, later as to the reasons why. You see temptation, fall, and consequences. So I hope you're filling out the the little chart there that I gave you, I hope that's helpful for you, helping you learn the book. Uh, chapter 4, I entitled Brother's Keeper, because Cain and Abel, and the question, you know, hey, what am I, my brother's keeper? And the answer is, yes, you are. And then in chapter 5, we see as a consequence of the fall, you see the repeated phrase over and over again, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. That just as God said, hey, If you allow sin to enter into this world, it is going to lead to death. But even in death, even uh, as a result of the consequences of of our sin, God shows mercy and he makes provision for sin 
through the godly line of Seth. So there's a lot there to chew on within your, within your groups. But if you look at chapter 3, I divided it into seven parts. And um, the first part is temptation. This is going to be killer to me. The next part is, in verse 6, you see Adam and Eve's sin. Third is you have shame and isolation in verses 7 through 11. And then they pass the blame in 12 through 13. In 14 through 19, you see uh, judgment. In verse 20, provision. And then the consequences in 21 through 24. So there's seven parts to chapter 3, but it's not just Adam and Eve's story. It's our story, right? When we read this, we go, hey, I've been there before. You know, I, I am Adam. I recognize that. So what I want to do is I want to unpack the seven um, parts here. And the first one looking at verses 1 through 5, the temptation. Notice the text starts by saying, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field and, that the Lord God had made. Now what does it mean by crafty? Well, it's, it's going to illustrate that. That the serpent, Satan, our adversary, doesn't just approach Adam and Eve and say, You know, you should eat that. But what he does, he is subtle. He is crafty in his approach. And he comes and he knows that if he just raises suspicion raises doubt about the authority of God's word and the goodness of God's nature. Just, it's really subtle. Hey, did, did God really say, did, did he say that? The idea here is implicit, right? Is that, hey, he's holding out on you. The Lord's holding out on you. He doesn't know what you need. In fact, you can become your own God. Trust me, trust yourself. Follow your gut. The Lord's made provision for you. He's given all this right here, but it could be so much better. He's restrictive. He's suppressing you. You don't need these rules. Man, live in freedom. Be free. Sound familiar? And the same thing happens today, gang. When we face temptation, the serpent first undermines the authority of God's word. Hey, did he really say that? I mean, come on, that's ridiculous. You're a full-grown man. You don't need to live by those rules. But then, and then he undermined the goodness of God because he was crafty. Notice it says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the free fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die? You're not going to die? Don't you know God's holding out on you? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. He's not good to you. He's trying to rip you off. So, you see where that leads, is to sin in verse 6. And I hope you were here last Sunday, and I won't go into it too much, just where Todd talked about how you see in chapter 3 just the inverse of the created order. That God... Was the author, is the authority of which man is to follow and love and lead his wife and they together are to take dominion of the earth and reign over the animal kingdom. But what you have with Satan is just a complete inverse of that. And Todd unpacked that. I'm sure you looked into that this week in your study. But in verse 6, we read, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Much has been made of this, but I think it's worth pointing out is that she was active in this, and he was passive in this. But his passivity, okay, does not mean that he's any less guilty. He sat idly by. He um, did not lead as he was supposed to. He did not speak out as he was supposed to. In the silence of Adam, as Eve continued to, to flirt with temptation, literally killed him. It's interesting to note that Genesis 3, 6 says that the, that the fruit was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. That it desired to make one wise. And then you see just a parallel verse. It's worth marking. It's 1 John 2, verses 15 through 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world, he says to us. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, look at this, the desires of the flesh. And the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. See the parallel? See the similarities? And so John warns us, Adam. He says, hey, be careful. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life are contrary to God's will for you. And if you listen to the temptation of the serpent, of your adversary you too will give in to sin and temptation. And so that's exactly what we see happens, and it leads to shame and isolation. That Adam and Eve experienced shame and fear, and so what do they do? They hide themselves. For the first time ever, they recognize their nakedness. They isolate from one another. And they hide from the Lord. And fear. Sound familiar? And then you know what happens next. You know in verses 12 through 13, it's just classic, right? The Lord asks Eve, who said that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of the which I command you not to eat? Verse 12, the man said, what? The woman Any of you all have kids? My brother, my sister, which you gave me, Dad, right? No different. Passing the blame. As you see right here, it says, the man says, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. You hear the implication there? It's not my fault. It's the woman's fault. She's the problem. And by the way, it's really your fault. The woman you gave me, it's not my fault. There's no accepting responsibility on Adam's part. And, the, and, and Eve is just the same. The Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. That's the serpent's fault. It's her fault. She did it. And can our kids do the same thing? We do the same thing. When confronted with our sin and accountability, what do we do? We run, we hide, we isolate. And as men, we are kings of isolation. We hide in shame 
would hide in hobbies and work and whatever else it is to numb the pain and the embarrassment. We don't confess. We don't lean on each other. But what we do is we simply pass the blame. It's my wife's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my neighbor's fault. It's my dad's fault. My dad hadn't done this. This passage is familiar and it hurts because it's our story. And then you see in verses 14 through 19, you see there's judgment. The Lord judged the serpent, the woman, and the man for the rebellion. And there's much there to unpack of what is said there and the implications of that judgment. But you have to realize this, that God is holy, he's perfect, he's righteous, and he's good. He cannot turn a blind eye to sin. It'd be just as like a judge that you'd appear before here in Dallas. And if you have been charged with a crime and you're guilty, and he was just to say, you know what, it just doesn't matter today. I'm just kind of in a good mood. You just move on without your day. We would sit there and go, that's unjust. You just compromised your character, your integrity as a judge. And God, who cannot compromise his character and who he is, has to judge sin. And he told them that when sin entered the the world, it'd be followed by death. So, you see judgment, but you also see, in verse 20, you see provision. Right? You see that it says that, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Their sacrifice. There was an animal, an innocent animal that sacrificed. And then the skins of that animal covered, clothed Adam and Eve. Sound familiar? And then in 21 through 24, you see that Adam and Eve were removed from the Garden of Eden and were no longer able to enjoy the intimacy they once shared with each other and with the Lord. There's consequences for their action. Again, their story is our story, right? That we've been tempted, we've bought into that temptation, the lie that God's not good, that he's holding out on us, that his word's oppressive. We buy into that lie, and then there's shame, there's guilt, and there's isolation, and there's blame, and there's running from God, and then there's judgment. There's the pain that comes with that. But God in his mercy and his grace has provided provision in the sacrifice of his son. But there's still consequence to our sin. There's still, we're still living in a broken, fallen world and we experience those consequences every day. But temptation's tough. We are Adam's kids. I want you to watch a little video here that shows you just how focused we become on that forbidden fruit, right? We become focused. Notice that when the Lord spoke to Adam and Eve, what did they say? It's the tree in the middle of the garden. It became the focus of their attention. And our nature, gang, is drawn toward those things which the Lord says, hey, this isn't good for you. And what we do is we try to get as close to that edge as possible. Watch this video. Hey, gang, the reason why that video is so priceless is because, man, we are like those kids, aren't we? I mean, temptation's right there. But, gang, the, the problem is, is that our temptation's not a marshmallow, 
right? It's something much greater than a marshmallow. But we are drawn to it like a kid is to a marshmallow. And you, you notice that she said, you know, hey, don't eat this. You know, don't eat for it. And it would be better for you if you don't eat. Okay? And so, but what happens? No child gets up from the chair. No child walks away like, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to occupy my mind doing something else. All of them, what do they do? They fixate on the marshmallow. They kiss it. They touch it. They lick it. They smell it. They play with it. They hold it. Right? They're doing everything they can because they're just sitting there going, I got to have the marshmallow. One kid I love, right? That kid at the end, she's just like, forget it. Boom, puts it right in her mouth. And I'm like, that's me. That's me right there. And, and gang, it's, it, the, the stakes are so much higher than marshmallows. And you know that. You have the scars to prove it. And this tra- chapter is trying to show you, King, that it's in our nature to eat marshmallows. But those marshmallows, gang, are rotten. There are barbs inside that marshmallow that will kill you. And God has given us his word to go, hey, man, be wary of marshmallows. Be wary of temptation. I'm not trying to rip you off. I'm trying to set you free. I've given you my word. It will guide you. It will lead you. Understand it. Learn it. And at the same time, I'm good. And I love you. I desire for you to experience the fullness of life. But because, gang, we're all marshmallow eaters, he made provision. And he made that provision in his son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, fully God, so as to be without sin, to be able to stand perfectly before a righteous, holy father, and fully man to serve as our substitute. Because you can't serve as a substitute for that which you're not. So it was necessary for God to send his son, Jesus Christ, who was fully God, fully man, to bridge the gap between a holy God and a sinful people. And that is the reason, gang, why Jesus is the only way to have a right relationship with God. But you don't get it by climbing your way out of this hole. You're a dead man walking in your sin. You can only get it by receiving the gift of God's grace. It's not by what you do or what you avoid or what you don't do. It's by whom you, in whom you trust. And what I want to show you real quickly in closing is Genesis 3.15. This great little verse right here. This promise of something even greater to come. Remember I told you Genesis is the foundation of everything else within Scripture. It's, it's the seed. It's the acorn. It's the tributary through which every other major theme of Scripture is going to come. And you see right here where the Lord gives us just a glimpse, just a shadow of what's to come. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And this is just a glimpse as Scripture unfolds and as Paul unpacks about the implication of this seed and as God in Genesis chapter 12 is going to grab Adam and he's going to say, I mean, through Abraham, he says, hey, Abraham, it's going to come through you. It's going to come one who's going to be great and he's going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth and he's going to get to David. He's going to expand upon that. He's going to say, hey, David, through you is going to come a king from Abraham through you, David. And then you have Matthew 1.1, which says, Jesus Christ, here he is, the Messiah, the long-expected one, the son of Abraham, the son of David, which Paul's going to say, the seed, the one who crushes the serpent's head, 
but it comes at a cost. He strikes his heel. Jesus will die on the cross, but he will have final victory over sin and death. Paul in Romans, he says, Romans chapter 5, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, see Genesis 3, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Gang, the Lord's word is true and he is good. But we, like Adam, we've rebelled against the Lord and our rebellion has led to sin and death, both physically and spiritually. We've been separated from God, but he's good and he's made provision for us in the sacrifice and the covering of his son, not just some animal. But we've got a choice to make. Who is Jesus Christ and what was he doing on the cross? And we are accountable for that decision and what we believe about him. I've written some discussion questions that I've sent to your leaders that I encourage you just to, in, to supplement what you've already prepared, to think through and to, to wa- help you walk through this, this little chapter right here and how you can see how their story is our story. And just as how God provided covering for Adam and Eve, he's provided it for us if we will trust him. Again, gang, if you look, uh, my last slide Blake, just the whole biblical worldview. You have a biblical worldview, gang. It's what I'm trying to help you get your arms around, that you see that this is just much more than just a history lesson of, of just in a Bible story, but it sh- shapes the framework through how which we view all of life. And it's broken up in those four parts. You have creation, fall, redemption, and revelation. Gang, you were created in God's image to have a relationship with him. But the problem is sin. It's sin. We've rebelled against that God who loves us. And he's made a way for us to be restored through his son. That one day, gang, you know what? There's going to be a time. There's going to be restoration. There's going to be recreation for all that have trusted in him. And you're going to be removed from temptation and sin and death and isolation and shame and pain and scars. But in the meantime, gang, we're here to be his ambassadors, to represent him to a dying world. And you've got that opportunity today. And to be that, that man in the groups that you're going to now go spend time with. I want to pray for you. We'll get out of here. Lord in heaven, I thank you for these men. I thank you, Father, for the lessons of Genesis 3. I thank you for the provision of your son. I thank you, Father, that today, Lord, is um, the day that we can trust you, that we know you're good. And I know that today's a day, Lord, that uh, there's going to be folks for the first time, Lord, who uh, their eyes are going to be open and they're going to see their need for a Savior. I pray that be true in this room and that guys would trust in you and, and just be able to experience, Lord, the joy um, and the peace and the freedom and the forgiveness that comes from knowing Jesus. So, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your provision of your word and fellowship and the spirit that lives in our hearts, Lord. Father, help us to run from temptation and not flirt with the marshmallows we will be encountered with today. In Christ's name.